You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two episodes from This Is Your FBI, which was a radio crime drama which aired in the United States on ABC from April 6, 1945 to January 30, 1953, for a total of 409 shows. The show featured true stories taken from actual case files of the FBI, and they were told from an agent's viewpoint. FBI Chief J. Edgar Hoover gave it his endorsement, considering it to be our show, and calling it the finest dramatic program on the air. The shows would involve everything from crackdowns on organized crime or stories of individual lawbreakers. Some were well-known crimes being worked on during that time period. The agents handled cases involving fraud, petty crime, and professional crooks, as well as clearing those falsely accused. The stories shift during each half hour between the criminal's actions and the FBI agent's account of the investigation follow-up. I hope you're enjoying our all-variety, all-the-time, 1001 Radio Days. And now, this is your FBI. There are no major developments in the war news to report. Any new developments will be brought to you immediately. Keep tuned to your Blue Network station. This is your FBI. This is your FBI, an official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security and to the Equitable Society for Financial Security. These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country. Tonight, the story of a crime against society, the confidence game. There are some people who seem to wait for laws to be made so that they can break them. Break them and make money doing so. To those people, a curfew means a speakeasy. A price ceiling means a black market. A war means a high-pitched, gullible nation. They like war, those people, because they can make money out of it in a hundred different ways. Sooner or later, they all get caught, but they try. They try every angle that a nation at war provides, and they try it in the most innocent places. Places like, well, take the sunny boardwalk overlooking the ocean at a resort near New York. Tilt your face up, Abby. Let the sun get at it. It only brings out my freckles, Lily, or else I start peeling. Oh, it's good for the bones. Oh, I wish we were really on vacation from school. 
But I can't help feeling a little guilty about spending money in wartime. I think of poor Mrs. Greenway and... Mm, she hasn't heard from her son yet? No. She's hoping he's a prisoner of war in Germany, I but... I beg your pardon, oh. ladies. I, I couldn't help overhearing you mention the name Greenway. Do you by any chance know the lad's first name? Well, I... Uh... Forgive my rudeness, but I've just come back from overseas myself, and I thought perhaps... Oh, his name is Herbert. Isn't that it, Abby? Uh, yes. Herbert Greenway? Do you know him? Yes, quite well. Oh, Abby, is he all right, do you know? Madam, you can tell the lad's mother to rest easy. Exactly eight days ago, the Russians freed him from a German prison camp. Oh, then he was a prisoner. Oh, oh so Lily. nice of you to tell us. Uh, uh, Major? Major. Uh, Major William Evans Roscoe, at your service, miss. That is, I hope it's miss. Uh, oh, yes. yes. Uh, I'm Miss Tompkins, and this is Miss Bergen. How do you do? Most charming pleasure. You see, I happen to know about the Greenway boy because... May I sit down? Oh, oh, please oh, do. Of course. Move over, Lily. Yes. Thank you. Now, as I said, I've only just returned from some very secret work overseas in connection with prisoners. I leave for Washington shortly to make my report. Oh, oh, oh when? Oh, not, not for a day or so. Oh. I've been granted a short leave, but I... Well, frankly, I, I don't know anyone in the city, and... Would you ladies think it very presumptuous if I asked you to join me for dinner tonight? Oh, it would be a pleasure, Major. Miss Bergen? Well, Lily, you know I promised the Perkins. Oh, yes. I'm very sorry. Some other time, perhaps? I'd like to. But I will have the pleasure of your company, Miss Tompkins. Well... Please, take pity on a lonely serviceman. You know, I haven't had a real meal or charming company for... Well, let's not say how long. Oh. Major. Yes? Uh, wouldn't you prefer a good home-cooked meal? Well, as a matter of fact... Oh, I'd be so honored. Why, I, I, I couldn't. Oh, please. It would make me very happy. And it's the least a civilian could do. Well, in that case, I'm at your service, ma'am. You know, Lily, there are two things about you that I find very hard to believe. Major. One is that you cooked that most excellent dinner all by yourself. Well, I did. And the other is that you're really not married or engaged. Oh, Bill. I look at you and I... Uh, what's the matter? I, I, I think I better go. Why? Because I, I, I can't do this anymore. Lily, forgive me for what I'm going to say. Bill, I, I don't understand. Can you understand the feeling of... Oh, lost time that war gives a man? Can you forgive it? Can you forgive me for saying, Lily, that... I love you? Bill... I, I, I know we've only just met, but I... I want to run out and buy you flowers, buy you champagne, buy you... I, I want to buy you a ring, an engagement ring. An, an engagement? Well, you, don't, you don't have to say yes this minute. You don't have to answer at all. I know it's sudden for you, but I want to... What, Bill? <sighs> Funny. Here I am talking of buying a ring and thinking of running out and getting one first thing in the morning and... 
have exactly $47 in my wallet. But, Bill, that's... No, that's not enough, my dearest. Not for a ring for you. Oh, now, Bill, listen. No, 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 no. Let me think. My bank's in Philadelphia. Do you suppose they'd honor a check here in New York? Bill, I refuse well, to Lily, let you... Lily, what's money for but something like this, something with someone like you? Well, now, my army credentials... Oh, darn it, they're secret. Lily, if you endorse the check, not for much, say $50. Oh, no, no, I, I, I couldn't ask you. Why not? Why couldn't that's all? You, you. Well, we're going to be engaged. Oh, Lily. So, what I have is yours. And what I have is yours. Oh, Lily, I really do love you. is filled with people looking for love. And people in love forget to ask questions. They don't care. Lily Tompkins didn't ask, didn't care, didn't know. Didn't know that when Major William Roscoe left her house that night with a check for $50 in his pocket, he walked quickly to the nearest subway station. Not because he was in a hurry to catch that train, but because he had an appointment. An appointment he had made that very afternoon. Bergen. Miss Bergen. Major. Oh, Major, I hope I haven't kept you waiting long. I've been waiting all evening. Oh. Uh-huh. That sounds like a pretty speech, but it's true. Did, uh, did Lily say anything? Oh, no. I knew she didn't hear us on the boardwalk, and if she had, I wouldn't have cared. I, I really never should have done this. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Oh, no. You don't understand. I mean... Abby... Forgive me for what I'm going to say. I don't understand. Well, can you understand the feeling of... Oh, lost time that war gives a man? Can you forgive it? Can you forgive me for standing here on a lonely subway platform and saying... Abby, I love you. confidence game requires only two players. A gullible, rather lonely woman, for example, and a man with a great deal of charm and absolutely no scruples. It's an old game, but it becomes a particularly nasty one when a new twist is added. A twist of taking advantage of a war. Still, it's a game, and like all games, it can't last, particularly when checks are involved. Sooner or later, those checks turn up at the FBI. Are these the checks, Robbie? Yes. Both for $50 and both returned marked no account. Didn't those women ask the Major for any credentials? They felt the uniform was enough. And the Army never even heard of William Evans Roscoe. Probably an alias. Yeah. Well, it's a low trick, all right, to use the uniform of a... Well, he won't be wearing it long. Is the laboratory reported on his handwriting yet? We're waiting for a teletype from Washington now. $50 from two school teachers, Two checks. And one within ten hours of the other. Which makes me think he's an old hand. I'm looking forward to that report from Washington on Major Roscoe. 
When a handwriting specimen sent to the FBI laboratory in Washington is identified, the work does not stop there. In a sense, it just begins because agents immediately begin investigating the man concerned. In this case, while the FBI was checking, the criminal who called himself Major Roscoe decided to leave the city and go to a mountain resort. It would be cooler in the mountains. It would be relaxing. And besides, there would be lots of women. Lots of unattached, lonely women. My plane caught fire. Naturally, there was nothing for me to do but bail out. And that was when the Japanese fired at you? Yes. Of course, I got the Purple Heart, but... But what, Major? Well, I'd, I'd rather not talk about it, Miss Hudson. Of course. Oh, I wish I were a man. Why? Well, I could have the kind of life you have now. Personally, I prefer the life I led before I fulfilled my obligation to my country and joined up. What did you do before the Army, Major? Exactly what I wanted to do at the moment. Oh. If I felt the urge to go to China, the South Seas, I'd take, oh, 30000 out of the bank and go. It always takes money to do things like that. I could probably go as far as uh, Chicago, I guess. Oh, oh, now, now, now. You must have more than $100 in the bank. Well, I do, but... Uh, how much? Just a little. Barely 7000 Well, where's your spirit of adventure? Take that and just pick up and go. Oh, yes. I've always wanted to. I've always felt that I... I don't know why I talk like this to you. I do. You do it because you know that I understand. Yes. I think you do. Martha, can you forgive me for what I'm about to say to you? Say to me? For the... Well, from the first moment I saw you, I, I, I knew don't. that... Don't. Please, Major, don't say oh, that. Oh, Martha. No, please. Don't you see how much it would mean to a woman like me? Don't you see how seriously I would take it? Martha, I know. And I know how I feel. You, you mean... Yes, Martha. You want to marry me? Yes, Martha, I do. Oh, William. Well, what's the matter, my dear? just never thought I'd be happy. And I am. I am now for the first time in my life. Two days later, another check marked no account turned up at FBI headquarters in New York. Another check signed by Major William Evans Roscoe. A check that Major Roscoe had cashed at a resort in the mountains. Now the trail, the path, the road that led to Major Roscoe was getting shorter. Much shorter. For the agents went at once to the resort to see the manager and then the major. Well, really, gentlemen, if you can't accept a check from a major in the United States Army and a major who's been decorated and wounded, Lord knows what else... Did I... you ask to see his credentials? Well, no, but after all, his uniform... Unfortunately, to... the uniform is not enough of a credential. Not with people like Major Roscoe around. By the way, has the major been very friendly with any particular woman? Yes, with uh, Miss Hudson. Very nice lady, I... Miss Hudson, huh? Miss Martha Hudson. We'd better see her right away, Leo. Oh, you, you can't. She's gone, too. Too? Oh, yes, 
They both checked out yesterday, and he paid for both. By check? Yes. By check. You have Miss Hudson's home address? Yes, I'll get it for you. A day too late. Yes. Laboratory report on his handwriting certainly indicted him. The major has quite a record. He's been operating for almost five years under about 20 different names. I think we'll catch him this time. That isn't what worries me. What then? I was thinking of a Miss Martha Hudson of the report from Washington that the major's been married twice. And both wives died almost immediately after the wedding. file on the fraudulent major. We will return to this case in just a moment. Since the dawn of history, men have been fighting to win security. First, security against marauding enemies. Then security against the despotic power of kings and nobles. Freedom of speech and religion, trial by jury, protection against arbitrary arrest and imprisonment. These are some of the great securities which our ancestors bought for us with their blood and their lives. In the last century, men set out to win still another security for themselves. It was freedom from money worries, protection against the financial uncertainties of the future. And to this end, in the year 1859, a group of Americans founded the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Their idea was that by joining forces, by combining their dollars into a common protective fund, maximum security for each individual member would be achieved. Self-help and self-reliance. Voluntary cooperation by men willing to work together in ways that benefit the entire community. That's the American way. That's the equitable way. By serving its members, the equitable serves America. And now, back to the file on William Roscoe, confidence man. A man signs an assumed name to a check and defrauds a woman of $15. He's done it before many times. He's never been caught and he sees no reason why he should be now. But the FBI has his record. They know his method of operation. And now, on a train returning to New York, they are finally on his trail. The description we got at the hotel fits the one of the report, all right. 5'11", 174 pounds, scars on his forehead. The manager said the major claimed he got those scars in the Pacific, fighting Japs. Well, it shouldn't take long to get to the Hudson woman's house from the station. She lives with a brother and sister-in-law. What? Oh, yes. What are you thinking about? Same thing you are. What that chambermaid told us? Yes. Well, just because the major carries a gun, it doesn't mean... I know. I wish this train would move a little faster. So do I. That train was due in New York at 3.45 p.m., but it was 10 minutes late. And at 3.50 p.m., Major Roscoe was waiting in the railroad station, waiting to board a train. 
waiting to board a train with his bride-to-be, Martha Hudson. You sure you got everything, Martha? Of course, Edna. Now, don't worry so. I just wish I could be with you in Boston for the wedding. I wish you could be with your sister, too, Mrs. Hudson, but army orders, you know, there's nothing I can do. Of course not. Stop getting so upset, Edna. Well, I can't help it if I care more about your own sister than you. Oh, Martha. Edna, now don't cry. I'm just so happy for you. There, there, my dear. Don't you think Martha's safe in my hands? Oh, yes, that's just it. It, It's all so wonderful. Oh, for Pete's sake. Let me have your handkerchief, Harry. Uh, Martha, my dad, I think we better... Yes, William. Harry? Sis, I... Well, all the luck in the world to you. Thanks. I think I've got it now. Goodbye, Edna. Goodbye, honey. Goodbye, Major. Take care of her. I'll do my best. Harry, old man. Goodbye, sir. Thanks for everything. I can't tell you how... Oh, oh, the tickets. Holy mackerel. Here they are. Uh, Thanks for picking them up. Oh, forget it. Uh, You've got my check. Sure. Well, goodbye, then. did enough weeping for a dozen weddings. I know, but I'm so happy for her, Harry. Yes, so am I. She always pretended that she didn't care about not being married, but... Sure. And you know, when it's your own sister, you... You feel kind of lousy, honey. Well, it's all right now, Harry. The Major's a wonderful man. He sure is. That was a beautiful ring he gave her. Must have cost a fortune. It did. Five hundred bucks. How do you know? His bank's in Philadelphia, so I endorsed the check for him. Oh. Say, Harry, who's that man waiting on our front steps? I don't know. Gee, I hope... What? Nothing. Uh, Pardon me. Yes? I'm looking for a Miss Martha Hudson. I'm afraid you'll have to go to Boston to find her, mister. Boston? Yes, she just left to be married there. To a Major Roscoe? Yeah. Say, who are you, anyway? Special agent of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Gee, Martha hasn't done anything, has she? No. The person we're looking for is the man who calls himself Major Roscoe. I knew it, Edna. I knew it was too good to be true. There is not a section of this country that is not covered by the FBI. Before a train carrying Major Roscoe and Martha Hudson could have arrived in Boston, special agents in that city were notified by teletype to be on the watch. When the train arrived, they were at the station. There was no sign of the Major or Martha Hudson. The agents checked all the hotels, the rooming houses, the churches, but there was no trace of the missing couple. A report was teletyped back to New York, and the special agents there immediately paid another call on Martha Hudson's brother and sister-in-law. Mr. Hudson, are you certain that your sister and the major left for Boston? I can't be certain of anything anymore. Harry. I'm sorry, honey. We know this has been a pretty bad shock, Mr. Hudson, but we're trying to find your sister. Did you put them on the Boston train? No, we said goodbye to them in the station. Maybe they got off before Boston. We're checking on that. But there's also the possibility they never started for Boston. I picked up the tickets myself. Did you see them? 
No. I just picked up the envelope, paid for it, and never looked inside. You say you paid for the tickets? Yes. Do you remember how much they cost? Sure. The major gave me his personal check for them. Here. Thank you. This check's for $20.38. That's the price. Yes, but that's not the price of two tickets to Boston. That's the price of two tickets to Washington. William, why did you tell Harry and Edna we were going to Boston instead of Washington? Oh, just the incurable romanticist in me, I guess. This way we seem like two carefree youngsters running off to this hotel secretly. Oh, William, we're going to have such a wonderful life. Oh, dear. What's the trouble? With all the confusion of getting away, I didn't have time to get to the bank. I, I stripped myself of cash. That's all right. I have some. It's a fine way to begin our life together. What do you mean? Borrowing from you. Oh, it's not borrowing. Whatever I have is yours anyway. I wish you didn't have a single penny. Why? I suppose it's because at heart I'm old-fashioned, my dear. But I wish you were completely dependent on me. I wish you had to come to me for every penny. William, may I have your pen? What are you going to do? The pen, please. Here. Thank you. I'm going to make myself completely dependent on you because... Well, because I'm old-fashioned, too. But, but what's that check for? All I have. Oh, my dear. I knew... I, I, I knew from the very beginning that you were the woman I always... Who's that? It's a bellboy, I guess. I ordered some champagne for us. Oh, William. Yes? Major Roscoe? At your service, gentlemen. Would you step out into the hall for a moment? Who are you? Special agents of the FBI. William? Uh, just some military matters, my dear. Nothing to be alarmed about. I'll be back in a moment. Now then, gentlemen. I think you know what we're here for. My dear man, I really haven't the slightest idea. You mind if we search you? For weapon? Yes. Well, the only weapon I carry is right here in my pocket. My checkbook. What we'd like to talk with you about concerns checks and impersonation. Oh? We have quite a few of your checks. One endorsed by a Miss Lily Tompkins, another by a... No, you don't. Uh, my checkbook. I know. I'll take that checkbook, Major. What is it, 38 automatic? Yes. Handy little gun you had there, Major. Not quite handy enough, it seems. But you know, gentlemen, I should have known from personal experience that as a weapon, the checkbook is much better than the gun. Shall we go? Very often, people will believe things because they want very badly to believe them. But too often, other people, criminals, confidence men will take advantage of this desire, even to the extent of impersonating an officer of the United States Army. Every representative of this country, every government employee carries credentials. Credentials that you should examine carefully. This is a duty you owe not only to yourself, but to your country. And to the protectors of our internal security, the FBI. 
These criminals can be among the most difficult to catch. But with the full cooperation of the decent citizens of our nation, they can be the easiest. hear about the file on next week's case in just a minute. Yesterday, somewhere on the island of Okinawa, a young American infantryman stepped on a landmine. It blew up in his face. Today, both of that boy's legs are going to be amputated. Compared with his sacrifice, anything that any of us does here at home seems trifling. Nevertheless, while we can't do as much as the men and women at the front, we can do our best. And that best is vitally important to victory. So it'll be a source of satisfaction to equitable members to learn that 44% of this society's assets are now invested in war bonds and government securities. Recently, Thomas I. Parkinson, president of the Equitable, pointed out what this means. He said, quote, For every one of its 3,200,000 members, the Equitable now owns government bonds amounting to $490. For each member, an additional $220 is invested in industries and utilities which manufacture weapons of war, plus $115 per member invested in railroads engaged in war transportation. That's another reason why we say that in wartime, Equitable dollars are fighting dollars. And at all times... They are security dollars for you, your home, and your country. Next week, a crime against our fighting men, war fraud. The incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious. Any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. In tonight's cast, William Roscoe was played by Arnold Moss and Martha by Charlotte Holland. The music was composed and directed by Van Cleve. The author was Lawrence MacArthur... And your narrator was Frank Lovejoy. This is your FBI, is a Jerry Devine production. Now this is Carl Frank, speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States, and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time, for this is your FBI. This is the Blue Network of the American Broadcasting Company. This is your FBI. This is your FBI. An official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security. And to the Equitable Society, for financial security. 
These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country. Tonight, the story of a crime against our fighting men. War fraud. In every war, there are two battlefields. One where guns are fired and one where guns are made. We have been victorious on this second battlefield. We have been winning in our factories, our plants, in all our arsenals of supply. But there have been a few men who have fought the war of supply, not for us, but for the enemy. Because to these men, war has meant only one thing, a chance to make money. They have been caught. Sooner or later, these men are caught by the FBI. Because the workers in their plants are also working for this country. In one case, a war profiteer was caught because of a worker who was only a cleaning woman. A middle-aged woman who swept the floors in a plant which manufactured hand grenades for the government. Say, hold on there. What? Well, where are you dumping that stuff? In the trash barrel. Oh, that doesn't go in the trash barrel. But it's just the sweepings from the floor. I know, but... It's trash. Trash goes in the trash barrel. Uh, what's your name? Anna Waco. What's yours? Rockland. Mr. Rockland. Oh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right, Mrs. Waco. How long have you been working here? Three months, sir. Surely you know by now that any sweepings with powder in them go in that box over there. But this powder isn't good for anything, Mr. Rockland. It's all mixed with dirt and shape. Mrs. Waco, this is my plant. I'm manufacturing hand grenades for our government. One of the duties to anyone working for the government is to conserve material. But this powder... Uh, will you let us worry about but it? I... We have ways of sifting the powder from the dirt. We must conserve. Well, I've got two sons over there, and I'd hate for them to get a hand grenade with powder Mrs. like this. Mrs. Waco, any sweepings from the floor which have powder in them are to be dumped in that box. Yes, sir. After all, there's a war on, you know. <laughs> The war that is being fought on the second battlefield, the war fought in the factory, is a vitally important one. And industry and labor have been fighting it triumphantly. Soon after Pearl Harbor, however, the attorney general of this country realized that there would be a few dollar patriots to blot the record. A greedy few who would try to make huge profits at the expense of the government. And so a war frauds unit of the Department of Justice was created. And to the FBI went the job of tracking down the criminals involved. That's why when Mrs. Anna Waco became suspicious of the Rockland Powder Company, she went to the offices of the FBI. Maybe he has got a way of getting the dirt out of the powder, but there are other funny things, too. Like what, Mrs. Waco? Well, I... Don't be afraid, please. Anything you say is just between us. The FBI will never do anything to endanger your position. Oh, I'm not afraid, Mr. Daly. Not for myself, anyway. Who, then? My daughter-in-law. She works in the plant. On the assembly line, putting in the powder charges. But they don't care how much powder goes in. Who doesn't care? Mr. Rockland or one of his sons. How many sons does he have? Four. And they're all nasty boys. One of them's Ruth's foreman. And he just keeps saying, hurry up, 
Speed it up. He doesn't care if the grenades are any good. He just cares if they're getting out a lot of them. Mrs. Waco, you must know the government has inspectors checking those grenades before they leave the plant. Sure, I know. Well, if the grenades don't come up to specifications, they're not any good. Those inspectors are going to reject them. I know. Well... well what happens to them after the inspectors turn them down? What do you mean? Oh, Mr. Daly, those Rocklands are just out to make all the money they can. They wouldn't be in such a hurry to turn out bad grenades unless they had some way of using them. Well, what way? I don't know, sir. But they're always talking and talking about conserving material. Yes. Well, good or bad material, I'll bet they've got some way of getting those rejected grenades out of that plant. Special agents were sent out to check the Rockland Powder Company, to delve into the past of Andrew Rockland and his four sons, to interview the government inspectors who examined the hand grenades made at the Rockland plant. From the inspectors, FBI agents found that each day, a large number of grenades did not come up to government specifications and had to be rejected. These faulty grenades were supposed to be sent back and fixed. But whether they were or not, the inspectors didn't know. They had no way of knowing. But the FBI had a way of finding out. The inspectors were asked to mark a small red X on each rejected grenade. And then, after a few days, a case of hand grenades made the, by the Rockland Company was given microscopic examination. Hello, Bill. Oh, hello, Mr. Daly. What's new? You mean, have we heard anything from your hand grenades yet? The answer is yes. Fine. Not so fine. What do you mean? How much do you know about specifications for hand grenades, Mr. Daly? <laughs> I've learned a lot in the last few days. Well, it seems that each of these grenades is supposed to have four individual powder charges. Otherwise, it won't go off correctly. That's right. Now, here. Look at a cross-section drawing of this one grenade. What? Can you see? Yes. That's only got one charge. If a soldier tried to use that grenade to save his life... No. No. We found 22 like this one, Mr. Daly. How many were examined altogether? 136. Here. 54 with only two charges. 37 with only three charges. And out of the whole lot, exactly 25 that met with specifications. Well. That's not all. Not all? No. To be really efficient... Powder charges have to be compressed into the grenade under a pressure of from five to 6,000 pounds. That means using a machine press. Yes. Some of these were made with a hand press. You know something? What? The powder in every one of these grenades made with a hand press is full of dirt and shavings. Almost as if the powder had been swept up from the floor. Yes. Bill, let me see one of those grenades. Hmm. Yeah. What are you looking for? A little red X. Oh, you won't find any on those, Mr. Daly. What? The faulty ones made with a machine press, they all have the red X on them. The others, the ones with the dirty powder and made with the hand press, they don't have any mark on them at all. A special agent of the FBI can get into a war plant by showing his credentials. Entrance, however, is not assurance that he'll be able to see what he's looking for. That he'll be able to see how faulty grenades are packed and shipped out anyway. How other faulty grenades can be made with hand presses and dirty powder. And can be packed and shipped without ever being inspected. Without ever being seen. 
The special agent who visited the Rockland Powder Company had no trouble getting in. He showed his credentials, he waited a few minutes, and then a young man appeared. Mr. Daly? Yes? I'm Fred Rockland. Oh, how do you do? Hiya. My father's waiting inside for you. Oh, that's fine. Just a few steps down this hall. What's that? Oh, uh, just testing the burglar alarm, I guess. Oh. This way. Thanks. Oh, Dad. Yes? He'll take care of you, Mr. Rockland. Thanks. So long. So long. Uh, Hello, Mr. Rockland. How do you do, sir? You're from the FBI? That's right. Well, glad to be of any help I can to a representative of our government. That's nice of you. Uh, anything in particular that you want to see, Mr. Daly? No. No, I don't believe so. Just want a general look around, huh? Yes. Well, this building you're in now... It's just one of the places where we assemble the grenades. How many buildings do you have in all, Mr. Rockland? We have five. Do, uh, do you want to go through all of them? If it's not too much trouble. Oh, oh, no trouble at all. Glad to do it. It's nice of you. I, uh, I just wondered if there was anything particular you were looking for. No. No, nothing. <laughs> I, I realize you boys have to be a little close-mouthed about your business. Just but... a routine look around, Mr. Rockland. I see. Well, if you... Uh... Are those people over there government inspectors? Yes. That's a pretty routine job in our plant, I am glad to say. This way, Mr. Daly. Five buildings made up the Rockland Powder Company. The owner himself took the special agent of the FBI on a tour of all five. The agent could neither see nor hear nor find anything to indicate that Andrew Rockland was deliberately trying to perpetrate a war fraud against the government of the United States. On the surface, everything was in order. Everything was up to standard. Except that every time the agent approached a new building, an alarm bell rang. I suppose this is the last building? Uh, yes. You've seen them all now. Well, I must say, it seems to be a fine place. Thank you. We think it is. We're, well, we're all pretty proud of our little contribution to the war. I'm sure you are. Tell me something. If one or two of the grenades happen to be faulty, what happens to them? Oh, they're set aside and remade. I see. I noticed that you have special boxes set aside for the rejects. Naturally. We don't want them to get mixed up with the others. Naturally. I was just... We can uh, get out this way. Thanks. After you, sir. Thank you. And very nice of you to show me around, Mr. Rockland. Oh, not at all. I'm always glad to be of service to my government or any... What's the matter? Didn't you say you had five buildings? Yes. Well, isn't that small one over there... Oh, that one... That one isn't used. I see. That's where I originally started my plant. But it's too old to be good for anything now. You suppose I could see it? Certainly. Some other time. Oh, as long as I'm here now, I'm I might afraid as well... not, Mr. Daly. I do have a business to run, you know. I can't spare any more time. Well, perhaps someone else could take care of I around. don't think so. We all work very hard here. There's a war on, you know. Yes. Of course, I couldn't go through it myself. No. No, I think you'd have a little difficulty in doing that. Good day, sir. 
we momentarily close the Federal Bureau of Investigation file on war frauds. We'll return to this case in just a moment. At the end of tonight's broadcast, let's suppose that you open your evening paper and turn to the stock market quotations. The name equitable is fresh in your mind, so you decide to find out what the equitable stock is selling for. You look under the E's, but the name Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States is not there. Why? Well, it's not there for a very good reason. There is no such thing as equitable stock. You can't buy it because it doesn't exist. This society is owned entirely by its policyholders, not by stockholders. And therefore, in the very truest sense of the word, the equitable is a society in which all the funds are put to work for the benefit of all the members. Furthermore, the dollars entrusted to the society are employed in ways that benefit the entire nation. They're invested in war bonds and American industry. They promote the business of farming, and they encourage home ownership. By serving its members, the equitable serves America. And now, back to the file on Andrew Rockland, War Profiteer. Agents of the FBI don't force their way into private property. Neither into a house, nor into a building, nor even into a war plant where they are fairly certain criminals are working, and working overtime. In the Rockland case, special agents attempted to get into the plant by working there as employees. The plant, however, suddenly announced that even though it was speeding up production, it was not hiring any more workers. That was also an announcement that Andrew Rockland was on guard. The FBI had no actual proof, no conclusive evidence that Rockland and his four sons were deliberately defrauding the government. They needed proof, and they knew it must be within that plant. They knew that somehow they had to get into that single unused building. But how? Daly? Yes? I'm Harvey Berkeley. Oh, how do you do, sir? Well, the boys over at the American Legion said you wanted to see me tonight. Yes, have a chair. Thanks. Always glad to sit after all the walking I do. And the... Mr. Berkeley, I wanted to see you because, frankly, we need your help. Need my help? The FBI needs my help? Yes. <laughs> Will I tell my wife? We'd rather you didn't say anything to anybody. Oh, sure, sure, but why me? We want to get into the Rockland powder plant. Oh. We need an employee to help us. Someone who's patriotic and can be trusted to keep quiet. We checked with the Legion and got your name. Did you check on me? We're satisfied. Well, name it. And if I can do it, no questions asked. Thanks. You're the safety engineer at the plant. That's my title. Just what do you do? Oh, pretty much what I think has to be done to keep the plant safe. You can get into all parts of it at any time. Sure. Can you get me in? Without anyone knowing who you are? Yes. Sure. About the guards at the gate? Well, if you wear old working clothes, I can take you in with me. How? Well, I'm allowed to take on an extra man if I think I need one for special precautions. Mr. Berkeley. Yeah? Would too much snow on the roofs of the plant buildings be considered a reason for special precautions? Why, sure. If it gets too heavy, there might be damage. Why? I was thinking. 
You might say you needed me to help shovel snow from the roofs. There's a lot of it now. Well, I could figure out an easier way. Less work for you. I'd rather do it that way. I'd like to shovel snow off the roof of that unused old building. Oh. You see, I want to get into that building. And I think the roof's probably the best way. At 11.30 the next morning, Harvey Berkeley and a rather dirty-looking helper climbed a ladder to the snow-covered roof of the old unused building on the grounds of the Rockland Powder Company. The guards saw them, watched them shovel snow for a few minutes, and then forgot about them. At noon, Harvey Berkeley and his helper quit for lunch and left the roof of the building. Not by the ladder, however, but by a trap door that took them inside. Sure is dirty in here. Yeah, this is just an old loft, Mr. Daly. Hasn't been used for years, as far as I know. No. Nothing around but cobwebs. What's downstairs? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Let's take a look. I don't know how we're going to get down there. The door's all boarded up. Oh, I don't want to get down there. What? I just want to be able to see down there. Got your hammer? Yeah. Here. Thanks. What are you going to do? Pry up those boards? Yes, they'll loosen up. I don't know what you're up to, Mr. Daly, but you sure seem to pick the hard way of doing it. Oh, no, this isn't easy way. There. Get a good view of the place, all right. What are all those crates? Oh, I don't know, but the Rockmans have sort of used this as a general junk storehouse ever since the new buildings were put up. You, you see that machinery right below us? Yes. Well, they're the old hand presses they used to use in the beginning. They're no good now, so they just store them here. I don't think they're just stored. What do you mean? Take a good look around this loft. Then look down there. Okay. See any difference? Well, it looks cleaner down there. A lot cleaner. No cobwebs, no dust, no boards over the door. That's not a storehouse down there, Berkeley. That's a little factory. But, but who uses it? I don't know, but I'm going to wait here till I find out. Well, what happens when you do? Wait and see. <laughs> For almost ten hours, Special Agent Daly sat quietly and alone in the dusty loft of the unused building. For almost ten hours, he waited. For almost ten hours, he crouched by the loosened floorboards, waiting for someone to enter the room below. Waiting to see if his suspicions were right. Waiting for proof that men worked in that room below to defraud the government of the United... Berkeley? Is that you, Berkeley? Sure is dark in here. Hurt yourself? Nah. Anybody see you come up? No, but I had to wait till the guards got out of the way. Here. What's this? Some sandwiches. Oh, thanks. You pick up that box for me? Yeah. What's in it? Who's down there? Wait till they turn on the... It's old man Rockland. Those his sons? Yeah. What have they got in that big box? Haven't you ever seen it before? Looks Say, that's the box they use for powder sweepings from the floor. What the devil are Look. They... 
They're making grenades with that lousy powder and the old hand presses. Why those... Do you know what's in the other crate they're bringing in now? Look like grenades from here. But what for? Those are the rejected grenades, Berkeley. Let me have that box you picked up for me. Here. Thank you. What are they going to do with rejected grenades? Hey, is that a camera you got? Yes. 16-millimeter movie camera. You're not going to take... Yes, I'm going to photograph Mr. Rockland and his four sons at work cheating the government. Plenty to take pictures of down there. I'm glad the hand presses are right underneath. With Mr. Andrew Rockland working them and giving me a nut. What's the matter? Rockland's looking right up here. Probably heard the camera. Turn it off. No. He probably isn't sure what the sound is. If I turn it off, he'll know it's coming from up here. We've got to leave it on and take a chance. Sounds so loud. Hey, Murray. He's calling one of his sons over. Mr. Daly, if they... Shh. Too late now. Mr. Daly, there. Gosh. I'm back on the hand presses again. I thought for sure he spotted us. The son probably told the old man he was hearing things. That's a break. It sure is. Now we're really in business. Say, these are pretty darn fine pictures, Daly. Thanks. There's a shot coming up. There. Two of the patriotic Rockland family packing rejected hand grenades for shipment. Look at the old man telling him to work faster. Oh, he cracks a whip over them. How long do they keep it up? Till three in the morning. My film ran out before then. Well, it doesn't matter. You've got enough proof here for any jury. That's all. That's plenty. Those Rocklands are a fine bunch of loyal citizens, aren't they? What gets me is that a few men like that can hurt the reputations of other patriotic businessmen. Yeah. Just as one strike gives all labor a black eye. And they've both been doing an A-1 job in this war. Well, I'll leave the film with you. Where are you going? Wind up the case. I've got orders to pick up Mr. Andrew Rockland personally. Like many criminals, Andrew Rockland posed as an ardent patriot. And part of that bogus patriotism was not driving a car to work, even though he could afford one. In the evenings, Andrew Rockland drove a car to parties and to the movies. But during the day, when he was a loyal, hard-working businessman, he took the interurban train from his house to his factory and from his factory to his house. At 5.35 one afternoon, Andrew Rockland stood on the interurban railway station platform, waiting, as usual, for the train that would take him home after his day's work had ended and before his night's work began. Dad! Dad! Freddy, I thought I told oh, you I'm to glad stay I found you. What's the matter? Oh, I, was, I was afraid you'd For left. heaven's sake. What's got into you? Dad, they're after us. Who? The FBI. What? They're at the plant now. Oh, nonsense. They can't get in if I left... They don't want to get in. I'm trying to tell you, Dad, they don't have to get in. Freddy, will you make some sense? They've got warrants for all of us. They've arrested Pete and Tom and John. Calm down. Calm down. I ducked out the back. They're looking for you, too. Well, let them find me. Dad, don't you understand? Yes, yes, I understand. But so what? There isn't anything they can prove. 
Not one single solitary thing. And until they get in the old building... They've been in the old building. What do you mean? Last night, one of them was up in the loft watching us while we worked. Oh, let him try to prove it. But he wasn't alone. I don't care how many were... Dad, will you listen? He had a camera with him. A movie camera. They've got pictures of us working. Freddy. It's true. I heard them telling Pete. A camera? Yeah. Yeah, a movie camera. Dad, what are we going to do? A camera? Where, where can we go? They've got us dead to rights. Dad, where are you running? Dad! Dad! In every war, there are two battlefields. One where guns are fired, one where guns are made. We have been victorious on this second battlefront. Industry and labor have been winning the battle in our factories and in our plants. There have been a few men, a few greedy men, a few criminal men who have tried to defraud the government in order to make enormous profits. These men have been caught by the FBI. And if there are any others, they too will be caught by the FBI. Because none of them can run a factory single-handed. They need to have people working for them and with them. People who know that working in a factory today is fighting a war. People who are fighting the war not because they want to make money, but because they want to win a new world for themselves and all those who will come after them. hear about the file on next week's case in just a moment. Since VE Day, the members of the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States, along with their fellow citizens, have been filled with conflicting emotions. We're tempted to rejoice because complete success has at last crowned our military efforts in Europe. But our deep satisfaction in this victory is tempered when we remember the gold stars in the windows of so many American homes. When we remember the boys who still face death in the far Pacific. We honor the fighting men whose courage and steadfastness have made possible one of the greatest military achievements in American history. But our hearts go out to the parents of those American boys who will not return to the homes they died to defend. So we believe that this is a time for prayer. It's a time to stay on the job, to resolve that we will not relax our efforts until final victory in the Pacific is ours. To that ardently desired end, the Equitable Society, speaking for its management, its employees, and its 3,200,000 members, pledges its unswerving and untiring support. Next week, a crime against society. Grand larceny. The incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious. Any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. 
In tonight's case, Andrew Rockland was played by Jack McBride. The music was composed and directed by Van Cleave. The author was Lawrence MacArthur. And your narrator was Frank Lovejoy. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. Now this is Carl Frank speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and inviting you to tune in again next week at the same time for this is your FBI. This is the Blue Network of the American Broadcasting Company. Thanks for joining us, everyone, here at 1001 Radio Days with This Is Your FBI. Hope you enjoyed it. 1001 Radio Days releases new episodes every Sunday at noon Eastern Time and every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.